Hi everyone and welcome to episode 36 of SAMA. SAMA is a webinar where we invite an expert to talk about the area of expertise. Today's expert is Dr. William Wong. Um, now, Dr. William Wong is very qualified. He's a um, Texas Complementary and Alternative Medicine um, Association Professor member and also a World Sports Medicine Hall of Fame member. Um, he's a classical naturopath, a PhD, exercise physiologist, certified athletic trainer, and a certified sports medicine trainer. If that's not enough, he's also an old right Catholic priest and a health fitness consultant. So Dr. Wong has done plenty in his life. Now, he doesn't look very old, but he's had more than 45 years of professional experience in natural health um, as applied to sports medicine and rehabilitation. He's been studying SET techniques, that's systemic enzyme therapy, in both the US and Germany. So he's also well-traveled. Um, Dr. Wong is widely acknowledged as one of the foremost experts in the field of systemic enzyme therapy and his work in understanding the mechanism of action is the mainstay of all system uh, enzyme therapy work around the world. Now in this episode of SAMO you will learn how inflammation is the root cause of almost every disease from cancer to Parkinson's, from diabetes to heart disease and so this summit is probably one of the most important summits you'll ever see. So welcome, um, welcome to our summit, um, Dr. Wong. If you don't mind, I'll call you William. Um, That's fine. It's wonderful to have you with us, and um, Thank you. I'm sure that people are going to learn a terrific lot today. So, what is systemic inflammation? Systemic inflammation is inflammation that happens body wide, usually from stress, wear and tear. Give you great. Great example. If your bicep gets tired, what do you do? You rest it. Your heart works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So does your liver, so do your kidneys, so do your lungs. If they stop to rest, what happens to you? You're dead. You're dead. So the same way that motors build up heat when they constantly work, and especially work at a load, our internal organs build up an inflammation, a heat, as they work and they don't get enough rest and we stress our lives and we don't eat well, we don't supply the right fuel, whatever the stressor is. Uh, so systemic inflammation, this, this is the way we learn it in school. Irritation produces inflammation. Inflammation produces induration, hardening via fibrosis, and then fibrosis causes death. In anatomy, we learn that fibrosis is what kills most all of us. If you take an 18-year-old cadaver in an anatomy lab and an 80-year-old cadaver, and you take out the internal organs, you take a look at them, the 18-year-old looks full-size, nice and juicy, like what internal organs are supposed to look like. And the 80-year-old, though, the internal organs are usually shrunken, about one-third the size that they were back when they were 18. If you cut through the 18-year-old's internal organs, it feels like very firm gelatin. If you cut through the internal organs of an 80-year-old, and I'm going to exaggerate here, but I'm making a point, it feels like a French bread that's been left on the kitchen counter for a week. Oh, gosh. You almost got to saw through the thing because there's a lot 
of fibrosis that built into the organ, as the organ becomes inflamed, it grows fibrosis. The fibrosis shrinks the organ and diminishes function. So therefore, as we age and we grow the inflammation, the inflammation grows the fibrosis. The fibrosis causes a diminution in function in all of the internal organs. That leads to death. So fibrosis is the enemy of life. Can you explain what fibrosis is in, in sure. simple terms? Sure. Fibrosis is the growth of scar tissue in response to inflammation, in response to an irritation. Let's say you're a coal miner and you're breathing in rock dust. Yes. You get what we call silicosis. Since you can't ever get the coal dust or the textile dust or the rock dust out of your lungs, it stays there permanently forever. And that dust causes an irritation. The irritation causes inflammation. The body, to try to adapt to the inflammation, gets hardened. It grows scar tissue across the inflammation, across the inflamed areas, to try to shore them up. It, it thinks that part of itself is injured. So it will grow this scar tissue, which then restricts expansion in terms of the lung. It blocks off alveoli. It causes all sorts of, 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 of uh, changes in the way we transfer oxygen. We have decreased SAO2, we have decreased vital capacity. So the, the, the inflammation, causing the fibrosis, diminishes organ function. Okay. Now, now um, uh, let me preface everything by saying that whatever I'm talking about here, most of it, the, the scientific validation for whatever it is that I'm saying can be found at www.enzymescience.com. There are almost 200 peer-reviewed journal-published studies on that website that you can refer to in every subject from angiology to urology. Wow. So um, this, would, would this problem have been um, pretty much non-existent prior to pollution, prior to the Industrial Revolution? It wasn't anywhere near as bad. Hmm. It's been said that our, our, our Paleolithic ancestors had as much stress in a lifetime as we face in a year. Now, mind you, their lifetimes were only 40 some odd years old before they got eaten by a saber-toothed tiger or something, but you know, <laughs> still, uh, we, we face an awful lot of stress. <clears throat> Compared to our Paleolithic ancestors, they worked 14, 16 hours a week gathering food. Lord knows what they did the rest of the time, reproduced, who knows. Uh, but uh, then we became farmers. And then as agrarian folks, we were working 60 to 80 hours a week to produce food. I'd much rather be the Paleolithic guy, working 14 to 16 hours. And spending the rest of time for the <laughs> We also see that once we became fixed on one or two food sources, the difference between Paleolithic man and agrarian man is a loss of five to eight inches in height tons of bone density and lots of muscle density. And the, the archeological record is very clear 
you can see most of the long-term degenerative diseases of man set in once he became a farmer. Okay. Gosh. So it's really a, the body's response to try and uh, to contain the um, the irritants in your body that's causing the scar. Yes. Right. The fibrosis is a reaction because the body thinks that it is injured. Let's take fibrosis within the blood vessels. <clears throat> if we don't have enough organic sulfur, if we don't have enough bioflavonoids, if we don't have enough vitamin C in our diets, <clears throat> those are the three major components that Ham's histology, not Dr. Wong, but Ham's histology, I've got a copy of it right over there, early 1950-something version, says those are the three components of soft connective tissue. They have the three major nutritional components. They're the glue in the mortar. Uh, excuse me, the, the, the brick in the mortar of, of soft connective tissue. So once the blood vessels don't get enough of those nutrients, they may, they may strain. You may ah, have a blood pressure episode and all of a sudden blood vessel balloons out. Mm. It's damaged. So the body thinks, okay, I have a piece of damage here. Let me shore it over by putting scar tissue in there. And it develops this spider web of fibrosis over the damaged area. Perfectly normal. That's what the body's supposed to do. Hmm. But on that patch of fibrosis accrue fat, accrues not or uh, excuse me, ionic calcium. It's about the consistency of toothpaste. And then bingo, you've got arterial plaque. Right. But the insult, the inflammation comes first and then the development of the plaque. Okay. So uh, let's, let's, let's talk about two diseases that don't have an itis or an osis as a suffix. Let's talk about Parkinson's and let's talk about Alzheimer's. In Alzheimer's, we see in amyloid deposits, protein cross-linking, growing in the brain, short-circuiting neurons. In Parkinson's, we see amyloid deposits also, also growing. And matter of fact, the latest experimental drug for uh, Parkinson's just got a grant. It's a version of natokinase. The enzymes that we make can go in and eat away at those amyloid deposits if we make enough of them. Problem is, the five or six proteolytic enzymes, the protein-eating enzymes that we make in the pancreas or that we eat from our food, we use up most of them. We have a, just like we make a finite amount of dopamine in a lifetime, and we can tell a when a person is pre-morbid, when they're about three or four days from being dead, we do a urine cat catecholamine testing. We don't find any catecholamines. Okay, he's not making dopamine. He's going to be dead in three or four days. Gosh. Because there'll be nothing connecting the brain to the body. We can do the same thing with proteolytic enzymes until a pre-morbid condition. We use up 40% of our enzymes between 0 and 27 Guyton's physiology tells us that old age begins at 27, but it doesn't say why. It took the work of Dr. 
Max Wolf at Columbia, who was a PhD. No, he, had, he was an MD, an OBGYN, who had seven PhDs to figure out why. And the why is, think back to when you were a kid. You sprained your ankle. Okay. You, what, walked around for 10, 10 minutes. You went back in the game. After 35, that same level of sprained ankle, that same degree of injury, would take you three weeks to get over. When you're a kid, you cut into your finger. Heels with an invisible scar, pliable, soft. Getting much past 40, you cut your finger. What happens? You heal with a keloid. This is big, lumpy thing, this ugly thing that's going where your scar was. Some people get plastic surgery. And what do the plastic surgeons fear more than anything else? The growth of keloids on their beautiful work. Big lumps of scar tissue looking horrible. Mm. Okay. Because from 27 on, instead of doling the proteolytic enzymes out with a tablespoon the way we used to back when we were younger, we know that if we use up the proteolytic enzymes at that same rate that we did between 0 and 27, we'll be dead by 40. So the body begins to dole out the proteolytic enzymes on the pancreas with an eyedropper instead of with a tablespoon. So healing slows down, fibrosis grows, inflammation accrues. The body's natural way of fighting inflammation is via the proteolytic enzymes. The proteolytic enzymes eat away at any exogenously tagged protein. The pro-inflammatory cytokines that we make the circulating immune complexes that our immune system makes to create inflammation are tagged as exogenous protein. And exogenous means it doesn't belong there. It isn't part of you. Like, like when you eat a steak, that piece of steak is not part of you, so the enzymes know to go destroy that or break down that exogenous protein. Okay. So when, our, uh, when we're young and we create inflammation, Enzymes go right in there, eat away the exogenously tagged pro-inflammatory cytokines. Bingo. No inflammation. You don't have any fibrosis. Post-27, especially post-35, all of a sudden, all your old aches and pains are coming back to say hello. Every injury you had when you were a jock as a child or as a youngster, as a teenager, are saying, hi there, remember me? Remember when you did this? Yeah. Ah and they're biting at you because we no longer have the enzyme level to suppress the inflammation that that injury is still trying to produce. The injury is still there. It might have never resolved. Gosh. So all of this diminution in enzyme production causes this grand increase in inflammation pro-inflammatory cytokine making by the immune system and we we can control it if we put in the enzymes from the outside so you're saying this is, we, this is, so i'm sorry go ahead uh, can we maintain the enzyme levels of you know uh, prior to the age of 27 throughout yes wow if if we take them in from the outside okay. this is the work of dr max wolf uh, dr max wolf wrote uh, a book, Enzyme Therapy, which was published in English by Viking as Enzyme Therapy, published in 73. Uh, and if you look in Amazon, you may still find an old copy of it. 
There's another work by a Dr. Milky, who's a physician, and three other physicians. Uh, and I don't exactly remember what their what the title of their book was, but it took most of Dr. Wolf's research, which he did for Pfizer. So Pfizer didn't want it because they couldn't patent the enzymes. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it, it took most of Dr. Wolf's research and collated it so physicians could understand where Dr. Wolf was coming from. Okay. Gosh. So, okay, the big question. Mm -hmm. um, Sooner or later, I'm going to reach 27, and I'm going to be concerned about it. <laughs> so what, what sort of foods, what can I do to maintain my enzyme level? Well, you know, unless you're Dr. Patricia Bragg, who's a friend of mine, she walks into her garden every morning and picks out what she's going to eat for breakfast. Whether she's in the States or whether she's down under in Australia, that's what she does. Picks out her own foods, eats it right there, very fresh. When you pick an orange, the second you pick it, that orange has 100% of its enzyme content. Sit that orange on the kitchen counter for 30 minutes, a mere 30 minutes, and it loses half of its enzyme content. Gosh. It just dies off. Really? Since most of us eat vegetables and fruit during the off-season that have been stored in cold storage, in argon gas for six months on the other side of the world. Mm. For example, now the vegetables sold here in the States are grown in Chile. Been in cold storage since God knows when, mm. and now they're in the supermarkets here. Right. So completely devoid of enzymes. Mm. Gone, completely gone. Uh, an enzyme is almost a living thing. I was going to ask you to explain what an enzyme was. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, and an enzyme is a biocatalyst. It's something that speeds up chemical reactions and makes other things work. Give you a for instance. Mm -hmm. Without the proteolytic enzymes that our pancreas makes, speeding up the chemical reactions, it would take you about five minutes to bat your eyelid to do this, and about 30 minutes to bend your elbow. Oh, my goodness. Makes curls really slow. <laughs> so so, uh, so the, the, the proteolytic enzymes speed up chemical reactions and actually create life. Without the enzymes, there would be no life. We'd all be slower than snails. Gosh. So they're absolutely essential. Yes. And everyone thinks of, of enzymes in terms of digestion, but that's the last thing they do. First, they, the enzymes go from the pancreas or the enzymes that we eat go from the small intestine, and, and, and here we get into trouble with, especially with the American nutritional schools and with the American scientists, because no one here believes that enzymes can be absorbed. They're too large in Dalton weight. We'll get to that in a second. But the enzymes that we eat first go body-wide to fight inflammation, to fight fibrosis, to, to cleave exogenous proteins, their lock and key mechanisms, specific enzymes, only work on specific substrates, specific things to unlock, to eat. Mm. An enzyme lysis, it eats. And, and uh, as for the absorption issue, salmonella is five times larger than the largest enzyme. We have no trouble believing salmonella can be absorbed. We have the cl clinical evidence. Mm. Well, first of the animal studies that were done, 
showed that they had absorption and therapeutic action. If there was no absorption, there'd be no therapeutic action. Horses and dogs don't get placebo effect. Then with the humans, they not only monitored the amount going in, they monitored the amount in the blood and in the tissues doing biopsy and, and, and blood work. Yes, the enzymes were there at 15 to 30 minutes once they were ingested. And here we have the difference between what nutritional physiology teaches, especially here in the States, and what the pharmacologists are doing. Because the pharmacologists have been using enzymes since the 1930s, the proteolytic enzymes, to increase the absorption of stuff. In Germany, India, even in the States, uh, in, in Japan, and across Asia, antibiotics are mixed with seropeptidase, with pancreatin, to greatly increase absorption, increase it up to 50% or more. Mm. The, the enzymes are mixed with other medications to increase absorption. So the pharmacologists know that the enzymes get absorbed. Why don't the nutritionists know that the enzymes get absorbed? There's, there's no crosstalk here. There's no mm. cross-communication. Okay. But be that as it may, we have 200 peer-reviewed journal-published studies minimum you can even go on, on, on PubMed and find some more to show that there's ther therapeutic action. There wasn't absorption. There wouldn't be a therapeutic action. So does the enzymes have got to survive the acids in the stomach? The yes. Yes. Uh, they have to be enterically matrixed or enterically coated. Just like we time release cold, cold capsules or, or uh, hmm. cough rem remedies. Uh, there was a Dr. Laserbossum and a Dr. Uh, oh, I forget. It was, it, it was a, a German and a, and a Czech who developed, first developed a method of enteric coating when they were at Mucos Pharma, the parent company of the first folks who invented systemic enzymes. Hmm. And then they, were, then, then they taught that it, at MIT, the enteric coating techniques, where they, would, where they taught... Uh, pharmacology. When you enteric coat something, you either coat it in sugar and fiber, or you coat it in the advanced enteric coating things, uh, substances, are plant walls and plant mucilage. So we have all the, uh, like the, the cellulose of the plant wall and the plant glues that basically glom onto whatever you want to mix them with. And they don't dissolve unless they hit an environment of at least six, 6.5 pH. Okay. Seven is better. Hmm. So any enzyme that isn't enterically coated or enterically matrixed, yes, will die when coming in contact with stomach acid. Although here I have to say that 40% of the people over 40 don't make stomach acid. Vegetarians never make stomach acid. Really? Yeah, yeah. Most uh, most vegetarians have have an alkaline stomach, and I can actually prove that using the enzymes. They will take the enzymes. The enzymes will go active in their stomachs, and they'll get a tummy ache because huh. there's not enough mucus protection in the stomach to protect from the enzymes biting at the tissues. So while the enzymes are sitting there before they go down into the small intestine, where there's a ton of mucus protection, the enzymes don't irritate at all. The enzymes will bother the, the stomach in a good many vegetarians. Uh, there's, there's something about uh, after folks have been vegetarian for six months to a year, 
a good many of them, if not most of them, lose the ability to make hydrochloric acid. And in general, most 40% of the people over 40 have lost the ability to make hydrochloric acid. Gosh. Now, you're, you're just touching on uh, enzymes passing through the stomach. They needed to have the coating of cellulose. But how about enzymes in the orange, in that example that you brought up before? Because that wouldn't be coated in... Um... No. No. And you're going to lose some to the acid medium mm. in the stomach. You're going to lose some to the, to, to, to the acidic nature of the orange itself. Some will survive and some won't. Uh, so it's best to, if you're going to use the fruit enzymes, to try to get the fruit enzymes for more alkaline fruit, such as, as papaya. Papaya and, and, and pineapple are the two great examples. Eating fresh pineapple, you'll get a ton of bromelain. The bromelain is both anti-inflammatory and antifibrotic. The papaya is primarily an antifibrotic enzyme, doesn't have a lot of anti-inflammatory action, but is one of the premier antifibrosis enzymes. Wow. And they'll pass, so just by sheer volume, it passes through your stomach or something. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So what is it in the orange that breaks down the enzymes when you pick it from the tree? What, what change in the orange? It seems the disconnect from life. You've killed it. Ain't attached to the tree anymore. <laughs> It's quite a... Um, it's about as well as I can explain it. I've got to sort of wrap my mind around. Well, I mean, it is life. It is life. Yeah. Disconnect a baby from its, uh, from its umbilical cord before time, and you've killed it. So, yeah. Think about taking that orange off the tree, snap the twig, it's dying. <laughs> so you better eat it before it completely dies out. So you see that fibrosis cause is, <clears throat> uh, causes the... well. Uh, leads to the um, <clears throat> the plaque in your arteries, which leads to you know the uh, chronic conditions. It's right. looking, it's looking quite a bit upstream from how how um, medical training sort of states things. How cholesterol is the big baddie. They have known since 1999 that cholesterol is not the do all end all, not the cause of heart disease, but they haven't wanted to really say it because. They're trying to sell you the statins. Mm. In 1999, a number of marathon runners just fell dead on their faces. Gosh. From massive heart and vascular inflammation. That was the signal. Then they started looking at inflammation as a cause because none of these marathoners had arterial plaque, not a lick of it, not a mm. weight anywhere. Mm. Mm. But the inflammation had so closed down the lumen of the blood vessels Mm. as to actually be worse than arterial plaque or closing off the, 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 the uh, blood flow to the heart. Right. So when you take a look at heart disease, the first is inflammation. The second are excesses of fibrin and fibrinogen, the things that make up fibrosis. They glue together with adhesion molecules and then glue together with uh, platelets to create embolites. And then all of a sudden, you've got a blood clot. The blood clot causes a, a stroke or, a, or an MI or a, 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 a heart attack. Mm. 
So if it's a cause at all, cholesterol is a distant third, but it isn't number one or number two. And they've known that since 99, which is why they started switching around for other things. Oh, let's find something else for statins to do. Let me tell you about statins. Before the advent of the statin drugs, there were four cases, four serious cases of rhabdomyolysis in the world any given year. Rhabdomyolysis is when your muscles begin to dissolve. Your urine turns black because your muscles are basically dissolving. Your skin becomes filled with methane gas because your muscles are dissolving. Mm. Depending on how fast the, dis- the, the, the dissolution is, some muscles actually balloon. Uh, excuse me, the skin balloons. So when the surgeon goes in to cut away all the dead tissue and he pierces the skin, you get all this brown goop all over the, uh, the, uh, the operating theater. It's really ne- messy. But there were only four serious cases of rhabdomyolysis in the world per year. Once the statin drugs hit, there were thousands of cases of rhabdomyolysis, along with the death of lower extremity nerves, along with liver damage leading to death. The statin drugs are actually deadlier than the diseases they're trying to prevent. You said they cause death to the lower nerves because um, from people that I've talked to who have taken anti-statins, they mm-hmm. find that the, the lower parts of the body becomes weaker first. Right, exactly, yes. It's wasting away the muscles in the lower extremities and it's killing the lower extremity nerves. Gosh. Almost not, not, not exactly like a, a diabetic neuropathy, but yeah, close. Isn't that dreadful? And of course, once something's dead, you know, what can you do? <laughs> you can't uh, once it. nerves die, there ain't, there ain't no bringing them back. They're, they're, the only tissues in the body that can rebuild, unless Jesus comes down and taps you on the head, are the ones that have ribosomes. If the cell structure in the, in, in the tissue does not have ribosomes, yes. then they don't usually rebuild. Now, I will make an exception to this. The modern stem cell therapy can rebuild some tissues that don't have ribosomes, especially when, when the stem cells are taken from one's own bone marrow. Uh, there's a, a doctor, there's a Dr. McKenna, who's a famous orthopedist in South Lake, Texas, who developed the technique of taking one's own uh, stem cells out of bone marrow yes. and, and putting it into joints, putting it into whatever. It'll get to the point where they can rebuild your organs with it, even if they don't have ribosomes. Gosh. But this comes from Dr. Paul Nihans, who started this whole thing in Switzerland back in the 1930s by taking live sheep uh, 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 tissue cell samples and injecting it into his patients when uh, uh, so if, if if the patient had a weak liver they they would take fetal uh, cells from the liver from from sheep and inject it in into the patient so dr. Nehans gets no credit but he's actually the father of stem cell therapy gosh <laughs> what can you say but isn't it shocking how as you say um you know, with the introduction of antistatins, because an enemy has been recognised, be it false or otherwise, and uh, they've developed a, you know, antistatins, the drugs, to combat this imaginative Don Quixote enemy, 
Right. And um, it's causing havoc. And and I, I you know I, I don't think anyone I've talked to is taking antecedents and not experienced muscle weakness in some form. Let's take that even further. The statins prevent the formation of let's call it bad cholesterol. Okay. Okay. All right. Your brain is seventy percent bad cholesterol. <laughs> that were removed from PubMed about six years ago, studies that were done from the 1920s through the 1940s, there were several of them. They were removed. Showed that the use of polyunsaturated oils in primates, mm. in lemurs and chimpanzees and gorillas, mm. caused brain damage. Before the advent of the anti-cholesterol diet with the Framingham study in 1966, there were four cases of Alzheimer's per one million population. What's the rate now? We have nothing to show for almost 60 years of the anti-cholesterol craze, except for a monumental increase in brain wasting. The, everything we think with is a saturated fat. All of our memories are saturated fats bonded onto proteins. All of our Thoughts are saturated fats bonded onto B-complex vitamins and amino acids, creating neurotransmitters. So what happens when you don't eat the saturated fats? Well, you How do we feed our brain? How do we feed our nerves? Mm, they starve. They, they <laughs> Exactly. I guess they die. You know, yeah. waste away anyway. Mm -hmm. Gosh. Four cases per one million population before the Framingham study, and then by 1975, nine, ten years after the Framingham study, we began to see a great jump in cases of brain wasting. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't take an Einstein to sort of join the dots and realize, well, what's happened? <laughs> what, what have we done wrong? But it takes a stronger person to sort of say, you know, well, we've got to change things to make things right again, yeah? Well, you know, but, the, the, Big Pharma does everything it can to create more patients. The Alzheimer's epidemic, near epidemic, has been wonderful for mm. the drug companies. Mm. They've made a fortune, and they will continue to make a fortune. Mm. Here in the States, for example, cancer, 52% of the U.S. medical industry's income comes from cancer. So some doc in Argentina develops a hydrazine, this German rocket fuel from the V2 rocket, and he uses it on cancer patients, and it works. It dissolves away the CA. Kill the guy. Don't you know, acknowledge that he knows anything. Quietly put him away, get rid of him, get rid of all the evidence, and let's continue on with the chemo and the burning. Mm -hmm. Only 10% of oncologists here in the States when they were anonymously uh, uh, asked questions, mm. would put themselves through the same chemotherapy radiation that they do to their patients. What does that tell you? Mm. <laughs> also, wouldn't do anything. You live longer. If you, if you don't do a thing about CA, usually, you live much longer than if you undergo chemo or, or radiation. Uh, wait, I'm going to hear the Gestapo knocking on my door in a minute. Well, um... Now, um, I was going to actually, uh, I was trying to find a way to ask you, like, you're very outspoken, and um, do, you, do you often sort of worry or 
no like you do you have any sort of i have i have been extremely tory i have been if, if, if you're familiar with a gal named ann coulter she's considered to be an ultra conservative i think ann coulter is a moderate liberal <laughs> that's how far to the right i am <laughs> uh, i i i have been i have been politically active since i was in eighth grade that's 1968 gosh uh i i have not shut my mouth all of my friends who have gone to work for the three-letter agencies for the alphabet agencies here in the states have stopped talking to me altogether well, that's a good way to find out who your real friends are though exactly but no i i i uh, i i i have been this way all of my radio shows have carry my opinion about things especially the politics of of of, of Big Pharma. Uh, I've been doing my radio show since 07. Uh, been politically active since 1968. Been extremely vocal and verbal. And so far there have been some threats, but no one's ever taken a shot at me. They're welcome to, I need the practice. Mm. Oh, just in case folks, there's no, the only time I'm not armed is when I'm in the shower and it's close. So. <laughs> I'm just wondering, you know, um, William, whether some of your, like your, your we, we had a practice run for the summer a few days ago. Mm -hmm. You We talked yes. about your family background and, yes. and, and what your family's been through. I was wondering mm -hmm. if you could tell the viewers what that is. And that, that may explain some of your toughness. Well, my father on the 7th of December of 1941 was on a Dutch freighter, a Dutch cargo ship in the Straits of Malacca they saw a Japanese destroyer come over the horizon and they hightailed it, flank speed, being chased by the destroyer. They made it to Australian waters. From there, my dad signed on with the Allies and he did convoy duty in the North Atlantic for the next four years. Anyone familiar with convoy duty in the North Atlantic in World War II, the U-boats were out there torpedoing Allied cargo ships, left, right, and center. The life expectancy for a sailor doing North Atlantic convoy duty was two weeks. My dad lasted four years and change. He, uh, he, they would take cargo in the Gulf ports of the United States and in the Southeast. So New Orleans, some of the other Gulf ports, Galveston, and in Savannah and in Charleston. Then they'd go to ports with England. As they traveled in convoys, the German submarines would weave their way in and out and sink ships left, right, and center. My father saw lots of people die and lots of ships sink. Mm. Uh, he met my mom. Uh, the ships would, would take on cargo in the Gulf. They would refuel in Havana, and then they'd head up to Portsmouth from Havana. Okay. My father had a cousin who used to sell my mom dry goods. He introduced them on a blind date. He made her wait until he survived the war because he wasn't sure he was, was going to survive the war. Gosh. And then he married her, brought her to the States. He had earned the right to have U.S. citizenship by... Oh, more, more than several times over, I think. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, and then my mom jumped through all the hoops she had to jump through to, to, to be naturalized mm. as a citizen. But I grew up 
uh, first on the lower west side of Manhattan and then in some of the toughest places in Brooklyn. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, I don't sound like, like sliced alone because, uh, like Hamlet said, I did much of how to forget that learning. The attitude of the people that I grew up with mm-hmm. was extremely tough. They had survived the Great Depression. They had survived the Second World War. Mm-hmm. I knew people who had invaded Normandy on, ne- on, on D-Day. I had friends who had grandfathers who were in the Battle of the Argonne in the First World War. Mm-hmm. So it was this general attitude. Now, mind you, with my generation, half of us became left-wing hippies. Half of us stayed extremely right-wing Tory uh, uh, conservatives. I'm with the right-wingers. Mm. Didn't start smoking dope, didn't start doing whatever. Uh, so that attitude permeated everything else that I, that I did. My guidance counselor in high school told me I was only good for digging ditches. What's that? <laughs> I promised myself right then and there that I would, I, I would roll up my doctoral dissertation and shove it up his ass. Only the son of a bitch died before I got to do that. <laughs> Obviously, they didn't have enough enzymes in their diet. <laughs> no, there wouldn't have been enough enzymes to the dissertation. It was, it was pretty thick. Gosh. This is quite a, quite a story. So um, you also mentioned just um, like in, in the war, you, you lost quite a few family members. Oh, gosh, um, yes. Yes. Um, thank you for, for reminding me. My, my dad's family was, was quite large. Mm-hmm. What the Japanese would do when they took over a city, they, they did it in Hong Kong, they did it in Shanghai, they did it in Singapore, is a mini version of what they did excuse me, in that king. They, would, they, they took twenty to 30,000 Chinese, brought them to the docks, shot them, and threw them in the bay. With the warning that for every one Japanese soldier that dies, we're going to kill 500 of you. But first off, they, they ruled by terror. They just took these people off, off the streets. My grandmother was strafed off the streets by a Japanese fighter. The rest of my family, except for one younger uncle, was killed in the war. My dad mulled that over. Each it, 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 it ate into him. His fiance was killed. All of his family were killed. It toughened him in a way that nothing else could have. Mm. What happened in Nanking was much, much, much worse. Mm. By several orders of, of magnitude. Yeah. But the Japanese committed horrors in China. Mm. And, 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 and it cost my family, the entire family. Mm. It's dreadful. And where were they living at that time? Hong Kong. They were, in in, Hong they Kong. were all okay. in, 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 a, in a Hong Kong or Southern Canton province. Okay. Okay. My uncle survived because he was in the army. He was with the, uh, he, uh, he had been drafted into the KMT, into the Nationalist Army. Right. And, and that, that's he, and, and he wasn't there. He was in Western China when the, when the Japanese took over Hong Kong. Hmm. Gosh, that's dreadful. Absolutely. 
Well, what you're doing now, I guess your your father will be proud of you because you're you're you're. I hope so. You're staunch now. Your 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 research is um, taking you down a path which hasn't really been trodden before, and people don't recognise it. And you're you're shouting loud. You know, um, you know this is this is actually the the, the true mechanisms behind um, um, injury, chronic injury, and how enzymes the, the importance of enzymes in your body. Uh, okay, well, um, thanks for the story. It's really heart wrenching to hear it, and the second time is no easier than the first. <laughs> um, and I'm very sorry, you know, for what happened. Um, okay. Um, it's taught me not to be a victim. Well, you're not a victim. You're you're a um... exactly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> taught me never, never to allow myself to be a victim. No, no, no. You're a very strong person. That's for sure. Thank you. Um, now, um, if someone's hit the um, the ripe age of twenty seven, um, you're saying that they the best thing they can do is um, eat real ripe, like basically straight from the tree, fruit or straight from the ground against vegetables, would they also be a provider? If, no? if, if they can. Now, the, the, the problem with vegetables, yes. and I'm going to get on the wrong side of all the vegetarians here, <laughs> in all true vegetarian species of animals, mm. they make cellulase, and the cellulase breaks down the cell wall of the vegetables, allowing the nutrients within the cell wall to be available for further digestion and absorption. Right. The hominid species have not made cellulase in four and a half million years since the appendix stopped working. Oh. Therefore, humans are not a true vegetarian species. We can be omnivore. If we mash the food down to break the cell wall, if we cook the food to break the cell wall, there are other ways to break the cell wall. But in terms of just naturally being a vegetarian, we ain't it. Okay. If we would be it, we would still be making cellulase, which we don't. Mm. Our appendixes would still be working. Right. So it's difficult unless you either take in cellulase or cook or mash up, somehow macerate mm. vegetables to get everything out of them that we need for nutrition. Um, according to Weston A. Price, the average life expectancy for vegetarians worldwide is 56. And I've seen many old blood uh, uh, type vegetarians who actually had to become carnivores again somewhere in their mid 50s because they were dying. And one of them is it, it was a a very, very, very famous alternative doc who's a, a very close friend of mine. He just, he just passed away in his, in his 70s. He had several health challenges in his 50s. But the main one is he, he's basically malnourished for as many supplements and as many uh, uh, homeopathics and whatever as he was taking. For as brilliant a physician as he was, he was malnourished. Okay. Once, and, and, and his internal organs were, were, were shrinking. Hmm. Because we uh, uh, give you an example, the Hindus mostly vegetarian, hmm. but they take in a lot of milk and a ton of eggs okay. to get the animal fat and the high quality, the high level protein hmm. that 
are needed to maintain the internal organs, the musculature, especially the hormones, because you don't make any any hormones without animal fat. Uh, the ascetic okay. Jews that I that I know of also strict vegetarians. They won't they won't kill an animal, but they will eat a lot of eggs and drink a lot of milk mm-hmm. to, to to make up for that. Okay. Gosh, I was going to ask you about eggs. Isn't that remarkable? But eggs you boil, and then you wouldn't get the enzymes, would you? Does does cooking? Right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, enzymes die between uh, 105 to 135 degrees Fahrenheit, which is what? Uh, oh gosh, in centigrade. Uh, I guess maybe about 38 to something. About 40, 38, 40. Yeah. To maybe about 50. 55 degrees centigrade. So, so yeah, the, the, mm-hmm. the en- enzymes die off much above body body temperature. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing you can do about it then. If it's, I, I, I guess you can blend, make uh, vegetable smoothies. That would, well, that would, um... again, if they're brand new spanking straight off the vine, yes. Okay. But if they've been sitting around in, in a store, forget it. Wow. Which is why Dr. Wolf came up with the enzyme preparations and why uh, all the enzyme preparations have prolifer- prolifer- I'll get it right. <laughs> proliferated the last 20 years because we don't get enough enzymes and we need right. the enzymes to do all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the, the taking in of enzymes in a capsule mm-hmm. is a lot easier than trying to, you know, pack enough enzymes into a smoothie because some of the enzymes that you need to take aren't exactly found in vegetables or in food. For example, we need to find an enzyme that replaces our own chymotrypsin. Trypsin and chymotrypsin are the anti-cancer enzymes in our body. We start making cancer cells by day one after birth. Mm -hmm. It's the trypsin and the chymotrypsin that eat those cells that keep the cancer from proliferating Mm -hmm. until we get older. I mean, most all seniors die with a cancer in them, but they don't die of cancer. Okay. But... As soon as, as, as the, the level of, of trypsin and chymotrypsin plummets, mm. or when we eat foods, for example, uh, soy. Soy has a trypsin inhibitor. Soy has been known to cause thyroid cancer. Soy has been known to shrink thyroid. Soy has been known uh, to cause uh, a few other cancers, including breast cancer. Mm. So when, when uh, most of the beans and the peas and the pods have trypsin inhibitors in them that reduce our production of trypsin or that neutralize the trypsin. Therefore, we can't use them either for digestion or for systemic action. Okay. So if we take the enzymes in from the outside in a preparation, mm. then uh, the, 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 the administration of the enzymes is a heck of a lot easier. Okay. And you get, are there enzymes that have been made in tablet form that are like trypsin-type enzymes? Yeah. yeah. Oh. The, uh, these days, enzymes are either extracted from fruits and vegetables. Okay. Or they are fermented in big vats, just like beer. Okay. So uh, the most powerful fibrinolytic and anti-inflammatory enzymes at present mm. are serapeptase and natokinase. I don't particularly like natokinase because it can have the same bleeding effects as uh, the drugs of, of warfarin, coumadin, and, and heparin. Most of the enzymes have a way, have a feedback mechanism 
to know when to stop lysing, when to stop eating blood proteins. Natokinase in nature, in, in the natto cheese, is there with vitamin K, and the vitamin K stops the overthinning of the blood and when cheese. you eat the natto cheese. <laughs> but when you separate the natto kinase enzyme from the natto curd, you leave the vitamin K1 behind, all of a sudden you've got nothing to stop the bleeding. I know wow. three different physicians, two of which were very well-known all alternative MDs who got themselves and their patients in bleeding trouble, hemorrhaging trouble, by the use of nanokinase. So I, 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 while it's one of the most popular enzymes now, yeah. I had advised folks to, to shy away from them. The seropeptidase, whichever way you want to pronounce it, tomato, tomato, malleolus, 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 will, will, will do the exact same job according to the, to the handbook of proteolytic enzymes, maybe better, and it has a feedback mechanism to know when to yes. stop eating lysing blood proteins. Mm. But the best enzyme preparations around are where you not, have, you not only have one enzyme, you have multiple enzymes. Think of an enzyme as a Chinese fan. It eats this amount of stuff. It eats these specific substrates. Mm. These specific things are what this enzyme will eat. Dr. Wolf found that when you combine several different protein-eating enzymes and cause them to overlap, you have a much broader span of action, and the anti-inflammatory and anti-fibrotic effects of the enzymes are much greater. Yes. So the solo enzyme preparations around are okay, but the multiple enzyme preparations around, especially the ones based on serapeptidase, are much, much stronger and much better. Okay. And these enzymes can actually reduce fibroblasts. Oh, gosh. Oh, well, they, they can reduce fi fibrosis. Uh, fibrosis. Fi fibroblasts is what, is, is what grows cartilage and bone. Okay. But they can, yes, they can, they can lice away the pro-inflammatory cytokines because their protein tagged as exogenous proteins. They can lice away at excesses of fibrosis. Give you an example. In German medicine, whether it's orthopedic surgery or intra-abdominal surgery, it's standard procedure in allopathic German medicine, not naturopathic or, or homeopathic. In allopathic German medicine, it's standard procedure to feed the patient systemic enzyme postoperatively to prevent the formation of scar tissue. Gosh. Gosh, it's, it's such known. Oh, isn't it kind of crazy? Because it's something that's it's not a poison. She ain't a drug. It's actually natural, isn't it? Enzymes are natural, right? It's just yes, supplemental. They are completely not toxic, have no LD50. You can take an entire bottle of mine or anyone else's enzyme preparation in one shot, and the worst you'll get is a case of the runs, but it'll clean you out wonderfully. <laughs> and, they, and rather than do this, what do they do? They give you um, anti statins, anti inflammatories, and Oh gosh! It it makes big pharma money. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. You know, we're we're we're, we're all just guinea pigs for big pharma. Right. Well, that's a little bit a little bit depressing. But I mean, for people that are watching the video now, they'll they'll know that um, they look for what a broad spectrum enzyme tablet that's been exactly. coated with cellulose, so I can survive. I invite everyone to. To, to come and take a look at our zymessence.com website that explains my uh, systemic enzyme product, Zymessence, Z-Y-M-E-S-S-E-N-C-E. -S -S -E -E. I've got several articles there. 
Also, come to drwongsessentials.com and read the article titled Comparing Zymescence. You can see what the differences are between different enzyme preparations and why I designed Zymescence to do what it, what it did. Okay. Now, um, fibrosis can occur on the skin as well, can't it? Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, uh, as, a, as, a, as a keloid, yes. Yes. Usually after an injury, a cut, a wound, mm. can appear in the eye. After, after eye surgery, lumps of, 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 of scar tissue. Gosh. We have one of the applications, again, in Germany, the plastic surgeons give their patients systemic enzymes to avoid growing keloids on their, on their work. Isn't that amazing? Um, something that is well known then, and yet people don't do it. So it's not a, I take it it's not a, a regular routine for other types of surgery um, to take enzymes prior to the surgery. It depends on where you are. Mm-hmm. In most of Eastern Europe, Russia, Germany, Central Europe, enzymes are a, a matter of course. They're, they're the usually standard in allopathic medicine. Yeah. In Western Europe, uh, any place where, where big pharma operates, it's been an uphill battle. The, the enzymes were first created, the, for the first enzyme preparation was created by Dr. Max Wolf at Columbia University in the 1940s and 50s. Yes. Again, as I said before, Pfizer didn't want it. They couldn't patent it. Right. Because you can't patent nature. Mm. So... Dr. Wolf got together with Dr. Carl Ronsberger. They bought a, a, a nutritional company called Mucos Pharma in Garit Street, Germany, mm. and they built the first systemic enzyme product there. That was the pioneer product, and it's where I studied enzyme use. Yes. And then uh, the enzymes got to the States, for example, oh, in 1989. But up until 1999, when I started chatting them up on television and, 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 and radio shows and whatever, giving lectures on them, they had only, they'd only had sales of $55,000 a year. That's pitiful. Yes. Once they caught on and people understood what the enzymes could do, that particular company started having sales of six to $8 million a year. Hmm. Hmm. Gosh. They no longer do. No. A few things happened with that company that Dr. Ronsberger passed away and it, it, it uh, had two or three different different owners. Just got bought out by Nestle. God, let's see what they do with it. Nestle, they're the, they're the fast food company, aren't they? Or, or drink company? Or? Nestle is one of the evil companies in the world. Well, I, Nestle I, is a company that, 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 that tells mothers in the third world not to breastfeed their children, that breastfeeding is, is bad. Feed them Nestle infant formula instead. I'd like to hang the, 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 the CEOs and the higher ups in, in Nestle along, alongside the folks from Monsanto and, and uh, the sound, other chemical companies. It sounds like you haven't got any strong opinions on the matter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know that um, a lot of their products do contain artificial sweeteners and other things which aren't quite so nice, yeah. but I guess it's up to the consumer to make their, the choice you know, and, and vote with their pockets. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, uh, let's look. I'm, I'm reading through the, um, the questions now that were sent to us from our friends on Facebook and elsewhere. Okay, the fibrosis in the skin we've covered. 
um, okay. Um, the question was asked, can we consider liver fibrosis as an inflammation disease of the liver? Yes. Okay. The, 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 the liver becomes inflamed. Yes. But through alcohol use or bad eating or God knows what. Mm, mm. It will grow fibrosis. It will grow fat to pad itself. The enzymes will lice away at the fibrosis and lice away at the fat because all proteolytic enzyme preparations, the pancreatin in most proteolytic enzyme preparations, also contain lipase, and the lipase eats away the fat. Oh. So we can take an alcoholic with a sclerotic liver mm. and extend their lifespan by feeding them systemic enzymes. We won't cure it. It, 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 it will simply and delay the inevitable if they keep on drinking. If we combine the use of a systemic enzyme with a, a, a really strong liver support supplement, such as, uh, and I'm going to give someone a, a plug here, there's a, a Chinese oncologist named Dr. Chi in Anaheim, California. He's got the world's best liver support supplement called Liver Chi. His website is chi-health.com. Okay. If you combine a systemic enzyme product with the liver chi, mm. then you can really extend the lifespan of a, a, a liver patient. Take a, a, a diabetic kidney transplant patient. Mm. Their kidneys died from glomerulosclerosis. They got all filled with, so filled with, with fib fibrosis, they couldn't filter anymore. Okay. So they get a brand new kidney. The life expectancy on those patients is three years. That's it, a mere three years. Gosh. We take those patients and put them on systemic enzymes and put them on another of Dr. Chi's products, liver chi, uh, kidney chi, mm. they'll last for decades. Not only that, but they will do something that, that urologists will tell us is impossible to have done. And the one case that I'm, that I'm thinking of particularly, they, uh, these kidney liver, uh, excuse me, kidney transplant patients, diabetic kidney transplant patients, mm. always have constantly decreasing kidney function, decreasing urine output, increasing creatine, increasing uh, a, a blood urea nit nitrogen. We could take those patients, we can increase their urinary output, we could decrease creatine, we could decrease blood urea nitrogen. We could basically add years and years and years mm. onto the three years they had expected them to live mm. Mm. just by the use of systemic enzymes and the kidney chew. Gosh. And it's what, one tablet a we've, day? We've done it. We've done it. Is it like one tablet a day they take, or do they have to take... Of, the, of, of Dr. Chi's kidney chi, I think it's two to three capsules, three times a day. If they use my systemic enzyme, it's one to two capsules, three times a day. Okay. Okay. If someone's a diabetic because their pancreas is um, not capable, is, is there like a, a fibrosis in the pancreas that's causing diabetes? Because you know, we're saying... Diabetes, and I proposed this back in 05. The dieticians gave me a hard time. Mm. I think a year or two ago, I think it was either the University of Adelaide or Melbourne, mm. found, uh, finally did an in vivo study on type 1 diabetics. Mm. Uh, basically, they confirmed what my assertion was. My assertion was that the inflammation in the pancreas, which is had by all diabetics, but especially type, 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 type 1, Okay. That the fibrosis, that, that the inflammation grew fibrosis in the channels that the beta cells use to excrete the 
the uh, insulin mm-hmm. into the bloodstream. And that it was that blockage that caused the type 1 diabetes. And we, we said that because we had administered the enzymes and zinc mm-hmm. to type 1 diabetics, and their A1Cs all went down. Didn't work in maybe 2 to 3% of the cases. In the majority of the cases that we tried and that I advised docs to play with, it worked. Mm-hmm. In some of the cases, the, the reduction in, in A1C was so extreme as to make the patient no longer insulin dependent. Gosh. Now, people will ask, why the zinc? Mm, I was just about to. <laughs> all, all diabetics are zinc deficient. You can't make any hormone, especially insulin, without zinc. There are two minerals that are the cofactors for all hormones, zinc and magnesium. And we in the Western world are pitifully deficient in both. Mm. Okay, but uh, zinc is through diet. Your body can't create zinc. No, no, but you can take it as a pill. Okay. Now, here's where we get in trouble with the RDA. The the RDA was invented to keep people sick. Mm. Let me tell you how the FDA uses the RDA. They take a one-ounce lab mouse, they starve it incrementally of a particular nutrient, let's say vitamin C, They starve it five milligrams at a time. They ignore the micro deficiency mm. signs. Mm. They ignore the bleeding gums. They ignore the falling out hair. They ignore the, 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 the looking ratty. When the mouse gets full-blown <laughs> scurvy, looking ratty. only when he gets full-blown scurvy, they go back one dose yeah. to the dose before he got full-blown scurvy. They add five units of measure, and bingo, that's the human RDA. How much more do you weigh than a lab mouse? Mm. Aren't your physiological processes going to be in need of more vitamin C than that of a one-ounce lab mouse? Mm. Mm. The U.S. Academy of Sciences criticized the FDA for how they formulate the, the, the RDA, but yet it has become the world standard, God help us. I thought so, they did it in proportion to the weight. So the mouse is one ounce, so... Really? Yeah, about a one-ounce lab mouse. Yep. Yep. So when, when we look at something like, like, like zinc, the RDA mm. is 15 to 30 milligrams. Mm. Okay, 15 to 30 milligrams for a one-ounce lab mouse to keep him from getting sick. How much more does a 100-pound human need? Just, let's, you know, just, let's just extrapolate a little a little bit. Now we'll get the folks on the other side saying, well, too much zinc will make you toxic. Okay, how much zinc is that? And has anyone ever tried? I knew a physician, Dr. Herman Von Game, who's the youngest physician in the Luftwaffe. I think he just passed away last year. He was a, 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 he was a, a, a physician twice over from Max Planck, University of Borzano, had degrees in, in engineering, uh, electrical engineering and uh, something else from Max, Max Planck. Brilliant man. Brilliant man. He was taking 300 milligrams of actual elemental zinc. And I'll explain the difference here. Hmm. When you take a look at, 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 at most nutritional chelated minerals, hmm. for example, calcium, you get a, a bottle and the, it, says it, it has 100 milligrams of calcium citrate per capsule. Hmm. 
we forget that calcium citrate is a blend of the calcium, the elemental mineral, mm. and the chelating agent, which is, which is the citric acid. Mm. The industry standard in the nutritional industry is that it only has 15% elemental mineral, and the rest of the 85% of the preparation is a citric acid. So out of 100 milligrams of calcium, uh, of, uh, calcium citrate, you only get 15 milligrams of actual calcium. Gosh. In 30 milligrams of zinc citrate, you get 4.5 milligrams of actual zinc. We've got the only preparation in the world that gives you 100 milligrams of elemental zinc per capsule, and no one's ever gotten toxic on it. Yet, down under, the Australian Health Ministry won't let us into the country with the zinc. We can sell everything else, but the zinc is too strong. And that zinc's available to your body. It's in a form that your body can use. Oh, gosh, yes. Yes, once, once you chelate a mineral, mm. non-chelated minerals will get absorbed eventually, providing you have enough hydrochloric acid in the okay. stomach. That's, that's, that's the kicker. <laughs> if you don't have enough HCL, if the mineral is, is chelated, if it's bonded onto something, that will carry it across. And anything in the vitamin C family will carry just about anything else across. Okay. Give you an example. An old, old med school trick for a headache is to take two ibuprofen and 500 to 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C. You're ensuring that those two ibuprofen get absorbed nearly 100%. Oh. Usually a, absorption is maybe 5 to 15%. 50 tops if you're really good at digesting, mm. which most of us aren't. Mm. You throw in the vitamin C, you get almost 100% absorption. Your headache goes away almost instantly. Wow. So anything you mix with a citric acid, with a vitamin C, with a bioflavonoid, even mm. if it's just plain old ascorbic acid, will be absorbed to the max. Isn't there? It's a little gem of information, isn't it? We shall see that at the start of the summer. <laughs> so, okay, but ibuprofen, that's a drug, isn't it? Yes. So, so yeah. would it yeah, work yeah, so, with natural things as well, like um, right. other things? You, you, you can apply that same chelating action to anything else. You can also take, sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you you, you go. You can also do what I said you can do with the enzymes. You can take the enzymes, Mm. the the, uh, the proteolytic enzyme, mine or anyone else's, with any other preparation, with an antibiotic, with an anti-pain medicine, with any nutrient, with any herb, and greatly increase uh, not only the absorption, but the utilization, because you're actually digesting it down to its component parts. Isn't that remarkable? This is, I know when people take iron tablets, if they take, if they add, if they also take um, vitamin C at the same time, the absorption rate goes high and the pennies just drop now. Why? Right. Yeah. By the way, the best absorbed iron is is, uh, ferrous ammonium sulfate. There's almost, there's no constipation. Mm. It gets absorbed almost instantly and almost totally. Mm. I can take any severe anemia patient and in three days, feeding them three tablespoons of ferrosimonium sulfate a day, you can find in a triple S tonic, not the pills, but the tonic. Mm. That's out of a company in Atlanta, Georgia. I can take any anemia patient and turn them around in three days on SSS tonic. Gosh. World's best absorbed iron anywhere. I, I used to make an iron preparation. And I quit making it because it wasn't as good as, as Triple S, so I don't... <laughs> <laughs> well, how, how would you make an iron preparation? We just dissolve 
on flight? Well, actually, yes. You make them organic. You make them oh. organic by chelating them. So it, 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 it's almost like you're, 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 you're almost like di digesting them. Give, give you an example. Uh, when when uh, an animal eats a mineral, mm -hmm. that mineral was inorganic when, when he ate it, he processed it through, he made it organic. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, if you eat it, you'll get much greater absorption than if you had it from its original uh, okay. uh, 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 elemental mineral source. Okay. Um, when I grew some citrus tree uh, when I was young, a little bit of time ago, um, I had um, old nails underneath citrus yes. plants. And exactly. The, and it was like a symbiosis because, I mean, the citrus plants, they, they, their fruit is, you know, high in vitamin C. And I guess the iron would also be drawn, drawn in. <laughs> exactly, yes. Yes, I've I got the exact same thing with oranges, with, with orange trees, yes. Okay, so the orange itself would have a high iron content, would it, if I did this? Higher, yes. Okay. Exactly. Okay, okay. I wondered about that. It's, uh, I, yeah, a lot, a lot of uh, pennies are dropping around here. <laughs> <during> this, <laughs> that's remarkable. Oh, gosh. And so there's a way that people can um, restore their health by supplementing their diet with either natural enzymes or if they're not able to, they can take um, enzyme tablets. And it's something that's so simple. And I bet they're cheaper than um, drugs, you know, antistatins as well. <laughs> Probably, yes. Uh, and, and it's cheaper than getting sick. <laughs> so, you know, if you think about it, what's, what's the usual allopathic cure for fibrosis? It's surgery. You go in and you cut away mm. the scar tissue. Well, the surgery itself just creates more, more scar tissue. Mm. So you have women who've had a C-section. They've grown a ton of fibrosis. It's restricted their bowels. It's strangulated their intestines. Oh, the surgeon goes in, cuts away the scar tissue. Two years later, they're back under, under the knife mm. because that surgery that cut away the scar tissue in itself created more scar tissue. And you might as well put a zipper in those gals. Because you're going to be in every two years to cut away the scar tissue. Yeah, gosh. Yeah. So if you're going to, if you know you're going to have surgery, go go and pile up on some of the, um, get some enzyme tablets and start taking days. That's exactly what the Germans do ahead of surgery. And then they suspend it for, uh, they, they stop the enzymes three days prior because the enzymes take about 24 to 36 hours to get out of the body. The animal enzymes do. The vegetable enzymes and the fruit enzymes leave the body in four to six hours. The animal enzymes, like the pancreatin, leave the body in 24 to 36. So they stop the enzymes three days prior to surgery. Then immediately, right after surgery, or one day post-op, the Germans start the enzymes again. This is remarkable. Well, I guess that if you're in charge, if you're making the decisions of uh, healthcare today, I think the world will be a different place. To, well, to, thank you. <laughs> Which is why they'll never let me near. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the world needs strong people like yourself to make a change. And, and, and change, well, changes don't take place at once, but, um, you know, there's the, I think we've passed the 100 monkey mark. I think enough people, <laughs> I think, I think, I think enough people are asking questions and, and, and opening their eyes and, and realizing, well, hang on a moment, you know. Why wasn't I taught this at school, you know? Oh, we, we, just about everything we've been taught is a lie. Yeah. Every, every everything from, from from history to to, to 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 politics to, gosh, you name it, it's all a lie. 
and I'm I, I'm big on revisionist history, and it, it don't don't let's let's not even go there. <laughs> but just about everything we have been taught has been a lie to perpetuate the existence of what is what we have now. Mm. Yes, exactly. Okay, well, um, I'm I'm an optimist, and I believe that there is going to be a change, and it's going to be in my lifetime. I pray so. And I really, I, I know that people like you are going to stand their ground, keep on, you know, sounding their trumpet, and people are going to listen to you. Um, Dr. William Wrong, we've been blessed to have you on our uh, webinar program today. Thank you so much for accepting our, um, our begs, our pleads for you to come on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me on board. It's been a lot of fun. Um, you know, we've um, during each each summer we we do learn new things, but in this, this particular one, I've learned a terrific lot. A lot of lot of them long words. So. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, thank you, thank you for for your time with us. You're very very welcome. And God uh, bless you all. And thank you, Facebook and all the other speaking to family. Lovely to have you on. And that's it for today. Well, um, I'm not sure what's happening next week because China's got a New Year celebration and. I might be heading down south where the weather's a little bit warmer, which um, but but that's not an excuse for not having a webinar. It just depends on the um, the hotel um, internet speed. So we'll see what we can do. And um, uh, William, we'd love to have you on again at some later stage because, of course, your Tell me when. I'll be there. Your your questions would have only sort of prompted more questions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, we have run out of time, so thanks again and thanks everybody. Very well. Goodbye. God bless. That's been amazing, and uh, and it's something so simple. This is something something which I get a lot from some you know, some of the experts that we have on. Is sometimes stupid, simple things, and somehow, Homo sapiens and their and their vast intellect have lost have lost common sense. And and you know, there's a cheap solution. Not very common. <laughs> <laughs> no. And um, and talking to you is just remarkable because you've come from a family that's had real hardship, real suffering, real losses. But what you're doing is giving real gains to people now, and so you've you've turned, you've turned, and you've 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 made something. You're doing something very very positive with your life. I'm trying. Thank you. Yeah, but you're real. Um, you're a beacon of light. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Well, I'll let you get on with your evening. I'll get on with my day. I've got people looking at me in a funny way, so obviously they've got something to tell me. <laughs> I hope it's good stuff. So I hope it's something like lunchtime or something. In China, you know, the foods, um, because it's such a huge country, everything's either stored or, well, everything is stored, really, or radiated. Mm -hmm. and, and radiation would cause damage to enzymes as well, I suppose. So, oh, it completely kills them. The, yeah. the All of the... All of the U.S. military meals, the, the uh, MREs, yes. meals rejected by Ethiopians, you know, the, 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 they're all they're all bombarded with, with with gamma rays, and so it changes the protein structure. The body doesn't quite recognize it. It basically turns it into fiber, and it expels okay. it all out. So, uh, a steady diet of that by 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 troops actually weakens them. Yes. Don't tell the Chinese that. <laughs> oh well, um, I, I think it's known, but I mean, what can you do? Because you, you kind of start. You've got to feed the people. Yes, exactly. I, I think you know the, they do a really good job. Actually, it's actually quite amazing. No one, no one goes hungry here, really. Oh, good. They, oh, good. They, Excellent. They, the um, the authorities here do a fantastic job. 
but in, in the course of the country so big and so many people, how can anyone go to, you know, organic and just, you know, picking things from the ground? And the, well, big- and, and the problem with, and here I'm, I'm, I'm going to go step on toes again. <laughs> a late doctor friend of mine, one of the best diagnosticians I have, I've ever known. Yes. Was a parasitologist. And he surprised a bunch of folks at a seminar once by saying, all of you organic vegetarians out there, especially you raw food eaters, you folks are so totally loaded with parasites, it isn't even funny. Mm-hmm. And everyone went, oh, no, it's just the meat eaters who, who, yeah. who get parasites. He goes, no. The bugs lay eggs in the fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. Since they're not killed off mm-hmm. by anything, mm-hmm. you eat those larvae. Mm-hmm. They grow inside of you. You never get rid of them. Right. In Canada and in the uh, in uh, uh, Mexico, the use of of, of uh, untreated human feces is legal. Really? In 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 organic gardening. So oh Pancho God. has a bunch of parasites. Pancho poops by the tomatoes. Mm. The, the the bugs crawl from Pancho's poop into the tomatoes mm-hmm. and start living there. You eat the tomatoes, you get the parasites. If you've ever seen x-rays of sushi eaters and organic uh, uh, vegetable eaters, mm-hmm. parasite x-rays, when, when they put in con- contrast, it's frightening. Because all you see are little white squiggles everywhere mm-hmm. in the muscle tissue and in, in the organs. And it's, it's, Luckily, ivermectin will kill almost all of it. What will kill? Uh... Uh, ivermectin. Oh, Ivermectin is an anti, uh, anti-parasitic drug invented by the Japanese. It, uh, the, in, in, in the tropics, it has saved millions of human lives. Mm. It's mainly used here in the States uh, for veterinary purposes because it would, the U.S. medical system would rather sell you five or six drugs mm. to do what one ivermectin treatment does does it have any um, negative things does it do anything no no not at all really safest drug on the planet Gosh. you could you, just as well be drinking water can you spill that one for me of ivermectin yeah one one cc of ivermectin per hundred pounds body weight per, uh, roughly 50 kilos mm. taken once and then two weeks later take another cc per 50 kilos that's all you have to do. Do that once a year. 99% of your parasites from your brain, your kidneys, everywhere will be dead. Gosh, can you spell that for me? This is one of the... IV. IB. IV. V is a picture. Yes. M-E-C. Yeah. D-I-N. I-V-E-R. Iver. Iver. Okay, I spelled with an O, but apart from that, it's spelled exactly how it sounds. Ivermectin, Yes. Okay. If you look it up on Google, even if you get it wrong, if if you come close enough, you will find it. As as I said, here in the states, it's it's not a, a, not approved for human use. It's approved for human use everywhere else. But we we rescue uh, uh, horses and goats and, and and dogs. My family and I, we have a, a, a animal rescue, a large animal rescue. Matter of fact, if you go on Facebook, it's uh Angels Wings Animal Alliance. I think that's what it's called. We haven't updated the page in about in in more than a year since one of our members died. But mm. uh, so we, we rescue the animals, and, and as part of the rescue, we have to warm them. Yes. Well, 
You know, we warm ourselves once a year. Gosh. Everyone should be warmed once a year. Okay, and the dosage is how much per? One milliliter, one cc, yeah. per 50 kilos body weight. Okay. So it's only a tiny so, amount. And just taken, yeah. or, just taken orally? Orally or injected, either way, it doesn't matter. Oh, I think most people wouldn't. It's do. safe as water. Gosh. And it's for animals, that's dirt cheap and... <laughs> and, and, and take it once and then take it again two weeks later same dose well I said that after I've said goodbye to everybody the salmon's always get better <laughs> <laughs> well I hope, I hope it's just not us in the crickets I hope someone's there listening because this is really solid gold that gosh is there anything else you want to sort of partake to us before we do uh, pull the I've I've got a ton of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this is all the stuff I give away for free. Now you're saying for um, uh, papaya is good for mm. uh, the enzymes in papaya and, and pineapple. Now, pineapples are yes. extremely high in enzymes, aren't they? Like you use yes. pineapple to soften, um, oh, what's the word for it, for meat to make it more, um, you know, to make it softer. The enzymes. Yeah. Are, and, yeah. Um, they, uh, it's, uh, Dr. M. L. Rafi, who was a, a chemist in Mumbai, yes. was the first chemist, was, was the first doctor anywhere to isolate an enzyme. And he isolated papain. And he sold papain as a, as a digestive product and as a product to soften meats and foods and other things. Yes. Uh, since 1924. And, and uh, 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 the, the, Extraction of enzymes from, from, from food is a science that's absolutely down pat. They've got it down pat. Mm-hmm. Uh, now they're actually taking the enzymes and making them less, uh, less needing of an alkaline environment so that they're fermenting them in acidic environments, getting them used to greater and greater and greater amounts of acid, mm-hmm. but the acids don't kill the enzymes. Right. Right, so it passes through the gut. Exactly. Yeah. Without enteric coating. Yeah. Gosh. Uh, actually, doesn't taste like much at all. I, I, I if I don't inject it, I usually mix it with, a, with a, with a, with a juice. Oh. Okay. Like cranberry juice, so you, you can't taste the thing. And it doesn't. It's not less effective if it has to pass through the stomach. No. No. Gosh. The only difference especially when you're treating goats, if you give it to them orally, mm. it kills the worms in the lungs so fast orally that sometimes you kill the goat. If you inject it, it gets absorbed slower and it kills the, the parasites in the lungs progressively. Okay. You know, it, baby goats are born with, 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 with parasites already in them. You yeah. have to warm, warm them before they're, they're two weeks old. Okay. Well, that's quite a bad, that's quite a bad side effect, isn't it? Death. So if, if someone's got worms, uh, parasites in their lungs, they might suffer a similar, um, no one, it, it hasn't happened with humans yet. Okay. Okay. It, it's been noted with goats. And if you, if, if you look at, at, at the human studies that the Japanese did, and that has been done in, in, uh, actually applying the ivermectin in the tropics, mm. no one has ever died. No one has ever gotten a, 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 
a bad result. It, it, it's, it's almost uncanny because you'd expect a powerful medication mm, mm. to have some side effects. They can't find any. Well, one, one milligram for, for a small person, that's, that's a, a tiny, tiny amount. So it must be mm -hmm. a very strong drug. You know, what it does, it gets into the, into the nervous system. It doesn't affect the human nervous system because it can't get past the, the blood-brain barrier, but it gets into the nervous system of the parasite and I, basically kills it. Gosh. Wow. Well, that's the sort of thing I wanted school to teach me. None of this, um, you know, nonsense which we get jumped in. Yeah. I learned about it treating goats. Is there anything you don't do? <laughs> uh, I fly airplanes. I've jumped out of airplanes. I can shoot. I can, uh, I, I fence. Oh, but everyone in America uh, can I, shoot. I can't, no. Oh, gosh, no. Isn't oh, it? heck no. Oh, that's no, the city boys can't shoot worth a shit. <laughs> oh, okay. Man, they think they, they could shoot. You know, they, 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 they couldn't hit the broadside of a barn if they tried. Okay. The country boys can shoot, and they can shoot very well. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, the, about the only thing I don't do is play the ball sports. Okay. Balls like football, basketball, baseball. Okay. Balls okay. are the instruments of childhood, <laughs> and I hold that, that any man who still plays <laughs> to the instrument of, of childhood is locked into his childhood. Well, that's and good, that's isn't a, it? That, that's an entirely different subject. Okay, okay, okay. Well, childhood's great. Those are my best, you know, best times of your life in your childhood. No cares, yeah. no responsibility. And yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Well, that's a good, good, um, good note to finish, isn't it? Childhood. <laughs> I'm, I'm Wait, why, so yeah, and why it comes around the second so time as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thanks again. Well, you have a fantastic evening, and thanks, everybody. God bless, Michelle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye.